You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 75, and we're going to talk about Ford v. Ferrari. We watched it on Amazon for $3.99, although I think I did pick my Amazon day, so I think this one was free for us because I had built up some credits, but I digress. This film came out in 2019. The director is James Mangold, and it was written by three fellows, Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth and Jason Keller. It stars Matt Damon, Christian Bale, John Barenthal, Katrina Baffle, Baff, Balf, 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 Balfi, Balf, B A L F E, Josh Lucas, Tracy Letts, and Remo Girone as Enzo Ferrari. Little aside, the filming lasted 67 days. The filming locations were all over Atlanta, Savannah, Statesboro, Road, Atlanta, Georgia, the Willow Springs International Raceway, LA, yeah, LA, Fontana, the Fontana Speedway, and Daytona for the Daytona or the 24 hours of Daytona. Oh, and Ontario. California. The synopsis for this film provided by IMDb is American car designer Carol Shelby and driver Ken Miles battle corporate interference and the laws of physics to build a revolutionary race car for Ford in order to defeat Ferrari at the 24 hours of Le Mans in 1966. The tagline for this film is, they took the American dream for a ride. What do you think of that one? Oh, it's, it's okay. All right. Okay. Let's see, I've got a little bit of trivia about Christian Bale's writing, but why don't you kick us off so we can talk about this fantastic film with your pickup line. This is live coverage of the 1959 24 Hours of Le Mans. So it kind of sets the stage. Is it this really the does. one in 65 that opens the movie? It said 59 in the dialogue. Oh, okay. So, so they're getting ready. Right. So in preparation for this role, Christian Bale took race driving lessons at the Bob Bondurant High Performance Driving School, I believe in Arizona. It's now in Arizona. Yep. As it happened, the founder of the school, Bob, was friends with Ken Miles. Mm -hmm. So in addition to his driving... Christian was able to hear stories of the 1960s racing scene and his instructor and the film's stunt coordinator, Robert Nagel, later stated, he is hands down the best actor I've ever trained. Hmm, interesting. I don't believe that people had the same assessment when they worked with Tom Cruise on Days of Thunder. <laughs> but... And Kristen had to lose 70 pounds before this filming, which happened right after he did his role as, shoot, what was the former vice president? Oh, Dick Cheney? Yeah. Well, he so, probably put on 70 for Cheney. Yes. And so after seven months, it took him to get down to the lean weight. Mm -hmm. Damon inquired how he managed to lose all the weight. And Bale said, I just didn't eat. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting that they talk about his driving ability because I did have a, a few little bones to pick with his performance as Ken Miles. One is that he talks a lot to himself. Mm -hmm. And in general, when you're talking to yourself, you're screwing up the next turn too. So I don't, that's not, I mean, I'm not going to say it couldn't happen, but it's not as common. But the thing that, that kind of bumped me, right, which always bumps me in almost all films, except for Dax Shepard's wonderful hit and run, is his eyes are wrong. He doesn't look like he's driving on the ragged edge. There is a focus 
that a driver gets when they're really racing and it's it's not common to see captured on film and in this film which is I, I i tell people this is for hollywood a documentary it's really pretty accurate for our a big budget hollywood film but this mm-hmm. is one of those things where they they probably made the choice to have christian do a little bit more acting right in the driving scenes and mm-hmm. i get it right you're making a film it's trying to be entertaining but there's just a little bit of a bump for me it's interesting because you say it's hard to capture but for anybody who got our newsletter which you can sign up for at touchmediaproductions.com yes. you took a fantastic picture when you went to those rally races and you got a lot of what yes. what you're describing those looks where people right. are just yeah, for those who in the newsletter you saw Travis Pastrana at the hairpin, that's the eyeballs I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. So I can maybe try to drop that picture in the show notes. I'll see what I can do. Or again, if you're not signed up for the newsletter, sign up and we can send it to you. Or you can email me. Yeah, and I'll anybody. Send it to you. Anybody who lives anywhere can get the newsletter. Yes. Oh, I thought you said Oregon. No, but especially in Oregon. I think you said or again. Or again. That's maybe. what you did. <laughs> but especially if you live in Oregon, heck, I could probably print a copy out and take it to you. But uh, I'm not volunteering that. I'm just saying. Right. But we're big in Taiwan. We've been high on the Taiwanese charts. Well, I'd like to. We've been like 32. Give a shout out to our Taiwanese listeners. I know. Welcome aboard. Yes. I wish I could say welcome in Taiwanese. Uh, I'm guessing they probably understand hello. Okay. <laughs> well, if they're listening to the episode. Yeah. Throwing it out there. Okay, so cinematography-wise. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right. I mean, in the opening scene, and it's at night, it's like the camera's on either the hood or the fender. Right. And we are in it. Like, we are in that race. Yes, that is amazing. So there's the the movie that Steve McQueen made about Le Mans. Yes. And they pioneered attaching film cameras to cars in order to capture the footage there. Right. This is somewhat later, but I think suitably similar. I think throughout the film, they did a great job of capturing what it's like to race at Le Mans. Mm -hmm. Because even though it's in the summertime, it always rains at some point during the race. There's nighttime. There can be fog. It's really kind of bonkers. Mm -hmm. Like when you stop and think about, regardless of, of asking a car, to go for like 3,000 miles over 24 hours at high speed, right, without blowing up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy that the drivers don't crash. It is, and so I, I felt like it really captured, as well as with the sound design, it captured kind of the sense of what it would be like. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was so good. Shortly after this one, we meet Matt Damon's character. He's sleeping in an Airstream on the racetrack. So that tells you like how much he loves. Yeah, he's committed. He's committed. He lives there. And he doesn't seem to have family, like a wife or kids that we, we don't ever hear them reference. Do you know anything about? The real Carol Shelby was married like five or seven times. Ah, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> a race official comes around to check Ken's car. <laughs> and I had a question for you. At that point, they're not like working together that we know of, that the audience knows of. Yet Carol jumps in to kind of placate Ken and kind of try to mediate this interchange between. Mm-hmm, right. And so 
I wanted to ask you, why did he do that? What was in it for him to kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, mediate? I don't know enough about the actual relationship between Carol Shelby and Ken Miles, but in the film, it came across to me as if Carol was the only person who really could see past the crusty exterior to see what a talented driver he was. Okay. He was very much his uh, cheerleader. Champion, We see him, yeah, throughout the whole film. Mm -hmm. When they were in the diner scene, later mm-hmm. in the film. Which is a good scene. I mean, the way that was shot is lit well and, and the did color you, palettes, it was the great. The leading lines, did you notice? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were the, I can't remember if it was a windows or there was something. And so I wrote down the leading lines in the diner scene. Nice. See, you're rubbing off on me. Ooh. Speaking of the diner scene, though, I will mention, I had the question, was 10 cents an appropriate price for a cheeseburger right. in 1960? I looked it up and the average price was 20 cents. So I, I, I think if this is supposed to be a kind of low-end greasy spoon, that was acceptable. Mm-hmm. There was a great shot right after the fight that Ken and Shelby have on the lawn across the street. Right, yeah. Then we cut to the track and the sun is there and it's like this beautiful golden hour shot. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They got a lot of great sun work there at the Mustang unveiling. I thought it was really well done because they positioned Matt Damon in such a way that there was like the R from the Ford big letters Mm -hmm. and the sun was just peeking out through the middle of the R, the top part. And so you got that kind of like lens flare as the camera slowly panned across Matt Damon. And then there is a point uh, a little bit later in the film where Ken Miles has his son Pete out at the airport where they've been testing the car and he's telling him about driving and looking for the one perfect lap. And it is as Hollywood a scene as I could ever shot as I could ever imagine because the top half of the sky is blue and then there's orange like above the ground. It was just, I mean, it was gorgeous. But I think it was, that's the one I was talking about. It was, it was just, like I said, as Hollywood a shot as I could have possibly imagined. So gorgeous. Yeah, it was beautiful. The scene that you were talking about when they were unveiling the Mustang, to me, I felt like that was probably like somewhere between 11 and two o'clock because it just felt hot. <laughs> yeah. That whole oh, sure, scene, yeah. like being on that tarmac. Oh, God. And the sun would have been beating off of the tarmac back onto you. It oh, just, yeah. it felt hot and it looked like, and it was probably California. Well, yeah, California. I assume it was Southern California. Right. The writing of the scene when they were showing Iacocco when he was stumbling to make his presentation to Ford and he was right. trying to write the ship and he tells Henry Ford the second we need to think more like Ferrari. <laughs> I, I think it's, it was really kind casting to Lee Iacocca. I hope when they make the biopic, I'm played by someone as handsome as John Bernthal. Mm-hmm. For those of us who know Lee Iacocca from the Chrysler years, he didn't kind of look like that. Right. I know. It was like a young Iacocca. Yeah. I thought Barenthal played... Oh, it was Josh Lucas played Leo Beebe, which we read in the trivia. His family wasn't super excited because he wasn't portrayed as yeah, a he, nice he, fellow. He comes across as, as a jerk and a giant impediment and just kind of a dummy bear, which is, you know, probably unfair. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure both Iacocca and Bibi were more complicated characters mm-hmm. than we see in the film. Sure. And then a little bit of trivia for people who enjoy kind of the difference, d- the how money, you know, inf- gets inflated over the years. Yeah. 
So Ken is, he tells his wife that he was offered $200 a day plus expenses and she's stunned. And so somebody did some math with a consumer price index and they say that that salary would have come to about $1,600. And if they limit it to just 250 days, five days a week, 50 right, weeks right. a year, it would be, it would work out to be about $400,000 in 2019. So not a bad salary for Yeah, about 10 miles. times what I think he would probably get paid normally. Which is what he would have needed to save the shop. Got to save the shop. Because they're going to lose the shop to the IRS. And then I was curious, Henry Ford II at one point calls Ferrari a greasy wop. Mm -hmm. And I... That would be inappropriate today, obviously, right? Well, yeah, that was an old-timey slang for an Italian person. Right, but not a nice one. Not in the slightest. I mean, he didn't even have to add the word greasy. If you called somebody a wop, it would be... They were probably fighting words in 1960. Right. Yeah. So, I wonder if that's kind of making a comment on Henry Ford Jr. Is that... Yeah, well, possibly. Well, we know that that Henry Ford Sr., the founder, was anti-Semitic, so it's not a big stretch to think... that the sun would also maybe kind of not be very culturally yeah. appropriate. <laughs> yeah, not very inclusive. Right. I liked how they went from the track to then we're sitting with Matt Damon's character, Carol Shelby, in the doctor's office. And he's talking about how his heart isn't right, very good. Ticker. And he leaves there and he goes out into the street. And this this large, first of all, to shut off that large oh, LA yeah. street. And put all those vintage cars there. All the the vintage cars are lined up both sides. Ugh. How do you find a street where the signage, like where you're not having billboards that are modern, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. modern looking signage of the of the buildings, even you know the buildings themselves? There's an aesthetic for 1960s okay. versus today. So a film this big, yeah, I may all be CGI. Oh, you're right. But not the cars, probably. I hope not the cars, but it's possible that they did the the thing where the lower third of the frame they bothered with and the rest of it, they just had nerds go to town. Yeah, you're totally right. But I was just like, whew. I actually had that question about the racetracks. So there was a couple scenes where they shoot at Willow. And that's easy because Willow hasn't aged at all. They remove a few billboards, but Adam has said that that's one of the easier ones to do as Willow Springs. Right, but Lamar. Yeah. The, the the front straight had to be CGI. I don't it, know how they could get that many extras and everything. Because there is, Lamar. yeah, there is a YouTube that I watched and they had quite a few yeah. scenes from Lamont that they showed the the effects. And so that could have been that they, they shot there at Road Atlanta, let's say, and then they just digitally. Oh, funny. My next note is in order to recreate Lamont, the Lamont circuit, as it existed in the 1960s, the scenes taking place on the racetrack had to be shot in five different locations. This proved a challenge in terms of continuity as not mm-hmm. only did the cars have to be correctly placed for each shot, but the weather had to be as consistent as well, meaning like where the sun was in the sky and everything. It's a BFX was critical in fixing a variety of continuity issues, some of which were as simple as adjusting the clocks to the right time. Also at that era, famously, the Mulsanne Strait at Le Mans was something like almost three miles long. It was over two miles, just a straight, straight shot. Right. Which was noteworthy because you get up going really fast. You just want big one long straight. And 
obviously in the film, they don't have to worry about, we don't ever see it like an overhead for that entire long, long distance. But that was a part of the film that I thought could have been explained a little bit better for the layperson to understand that where they hit their brakes and they have that hard right turn with the hay bales, that's probably as fast as any race car goes Mm -hmm. on a track, except maybe the Nordschleife. There's just no, there's not enough space, but they get up way fast. And so braking was a huge deal because you're going as fast as you can, 220 miles an hour, and then you have to break down to 40 or whatever to make that turn. And I didn't feel like that was covered in the film, which to me heightens the drama. Yes. Of of that turn, if you know that that they're just booking. Right. So the first time we watched this, this happened and it kind of happened here too. This film is like two and a half hours long. Oh, really? Wow. (laughs) You didn't know that? It does not feel as long as Dance of the Wolves, I'll tell you that. It, about the same time I check out. Wow. Huh. (laughs) And then when they start getting them all going, then I'm back in. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I love this movie. It's a great movie. I really like this film, but it it feels like 85 minutes to me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So, filmmakers out there, if if you make a film which is two and a half hours long of just racing, I'll watch it. (laughs) So, I like in the opening, going to go back to the opening. Yeah. I like not only the sounds, but how the announcer is giving us our exposition to set up the stakes and what's on the line for Carol Shelby in, in that right. scene. I have to say, I did like one really clever bit of exposition that was not actually with dialogue. Mm-hmm. Molly, played by Katrina Balfi, do we decide how we say <laughs> right. her name? Let's say it that way. She's looking at a photo, and it's a framed photo of presumably Ken Miles, a bunch of doughboys in World War II. Mm-hmm. And that establishes for us that that he he was he was a, a veteran of, of D Day. That's right. how we. And then it, it comes up in dialogue later, but it establishes that early in the film. And I thought that was cleverly done of show don't tell. Yes, yes, and yeah, she yeah exactly. Let's see. Is there anything you had for like either writing or editing that we didn't mention? So I, I want to say from a sound design, and this is just throwing money at the problem, but I loved 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 that they had the theme song from I Dream of Jeannie playing at one point to indicate when the kid was watching TV. How funny, because we just talked about I Dream of Jeannie in last episode. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. There are some really fun lines that I did like in there early on. Am I on goddamn fire? <laughs> right? Which is uh, an interesting question. That Which you, he was you would, moments earlier. Yeah, you would ask. That's, a, that's an important thing. There's a great line in there that I'm actually going to steal when instead of saying the shit will hit the fan, someone says the shit will hit the Fangio, which is Fangio is a famous race driver. Oh. So I thought that was a really... I didn't know if that's how you say fan in Italian. No, I think Tafosi are the Ferrari fans. I don't know how you say generic racing fan in Italian. Oh, is is that kind of fan different than than I thought you meant like what you would cool yourself with? Oh, no. <laughs> no. In this, I, I had heard a different thing. So isn't that funny that fan has multiple things? And then there was a callback to you could get Doris Day to drive the car if you wanted to lose, which I thought was, again, period accurate. Yeah. But I wonder how that lands with the younger crowd because they probably don't know Doris Day. Right. But you can't say... You, you could get Jennifer Lopez. Right. Well, of course. I just, I was curious, like, does it land as well for them as right. it does for us? Right. And then uh, they, they do repeat the line several times. There's a point seven thousand RPM where everything fades. I don't, I don't know that it's a specific RPM, but okay. Yes. We'll live with that for the I film. I wonder, okay, that, I'm glad you said that because I thought, okay, did I just remember he said that or does he say it twice? So Matt Damon says it twice. Yeah. Beginning of the film and end of the film. Yeah. They, they bookend the book it. End it. Yep. Okay. 
that's true. Which, okay, I'm going to mention, I'm not the biggest fan of Christian Bale because I, I think he's treated the crew on some sets poorly. Yeah, don't like that. But I think Matt Damon did a great job in this film. Oh my gosh. I mean, when has Matty Damon never done it? I'm a big fan of Mr. Damon's work, but I felt like in this one, he really did a great job. He did. I didn't know the actual man, Carol Shelby, so I don't know how it it, it tracks from that perspective. But I think from a filmmaking perspective, good stuff. I love the scene when he locks Josh Lucas's (laughs) character in the room so that he can go steal Henry Ford and take him on a, a, a spin. Yeah. Which would be awesome if that was a true story. Yeah. When you were talking about the sound, I watched a fantastic sound editing. I, I think it would be boring to everyone else except for a sound nerd. <laughs> but it's it's a Vanity Fair video. They took the sound engineers from Ford v. Ferrari and they talked about how they layered all the different sound. And they went to a bunch of different races and got like the sound of the fans and the sound oh, of nice. the cars and like five different races they sent sound engineers to to get the the you know the actual sound to be able to mix and they even went to different countries mm-hmm. because and you if you when you watch the movie folks listen you can hear like french being spoken when they're at le mans and oh wow yeah fascinating and so they even got different like i, I thought it was five different countries languages of of your fans if i recall correctly speaking of sound in different languages they have a shot from inside the press box at le mans at one point and as they pan left to right past the different reporters the audio for their language comes up and goes down so it's like english and then french and then italian and then japanese it was kind of uh cleverly very cool yeah i know this film is good so definitely deserves all the credit it got for sound design like it got a lot i'm gonna tell you that's kind of where they made the most in their awards was there any head trauma in this film well, the closest we got to head trauma that uh, uh, on screen was Carol had to duck to avoid a spanner thrown by Ken. Well, was there any head trauma when they were fighting? There might have been. So, listener RJ, there is some implied head trauma there. I don't remember seeing a particular blow to the head. Also, there are some crashes where people get hurt, and we can assume that there could have been some head trauma yeah. in those crashes. Yes. And we even got a little romance in this film. Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. We, we did get a little romance. Yeah, I thought it was sweet, the relationship that Ken and his wife had. Yeah, he, at one point he says he likes a girl who likes to smell wet gasoline, which begs the question, what does dry gas smell like? <laughs> I think. So I think there's a smooch between them, but. Let, let me check. I think I actually did get that despite my problems with certain people. Yeah, Molly kisses Ken at 1 hour 41 after he tucks in Pete. Your problems with Christian Bale, not me. Yeah, yeah, no, not you. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were <laughs> Unless you, you have berated your like lighting crew. No, I at treat some my point. people very, very yeah, kind. Yeah. Okay, I'm strapping in for the driving review okay. of this film. All right. So we start out almost immediately with extremely unsafe driving by Carol Shelby in that red Porsche 356. Like he just pulls a U-turn through traffic. On like a four-lane road. Right. right. Just because you're a racer doesn't mean you want to get hit. I mean, I thought that was, I mean, it's a good, it's a, I guess, from a storytelling perspective, it's an interesting visual of the red car and and him being upset and and everything. Then we go to Willow, where Ken is driving. And and I have to say, This is a Hollywood thing, but it did bump me. He goes off the racetrack into the dirt and then 
passes someone. And the reality is when you get dirt on your tires, they're not as sticky. It takes a little while, half a lap or a lap, to wear off the dirt and get the, the gooey, sticky part back. So you actually lose time when you go off into the dirt, not gain time. When I saw that, I was going to ask you if they ever do that, because for the very reasons that you just expressed, I wouldn't think that that would be yeah, ideal. You, it's also very, very quite possible to spin at that point right. and lose many positions or smack into things and be out of the race. You generally try to stay on the asphalt parts. That's a no-no. Yeah, just unless you're off-road racing or maybe stadium super trucks. But for the most part, those kind of cars, you want to stay on the track. So I did have a question about how much horsepower a 1963 Ford Country Squire really had because when she gets mad at him, at Ken, and and, and punches it, that, that station wagon really had some performance there. That was a little suspicious in my opinion. But so at Daytona, there was some, again, this was Hollywoodisms. They show him at one point going from maybe half throttle and he just stomps on full throttle. And in general, when racing, you're full throttle all the time. You're going as fast as you possibly can at every instant, unless you have to, of course, right, lift to turn or to brake. In this case, maybe since it's an endurance race, he could have been maybe not at full throttle the whole time because in endurance racing, they generally don't go really hard until the last hour because they're trying to keep the car alive. And so that was very realistic that they were talking about what RPM target he was going to hit. But the thing that I really couldn't get past at Daytona was they show him shifting, upshifting twice. And those cars, they maybe had a six speed in them. There's no way he was driving around in fourth gear for the entire race. And then he's like, okay, well now I'm going to go that much faster. That was, again, that was, I think, a Hollywoodism. They like people to see shifting so they put shifting in even when it makes no sense. Right. Remember that in real racing, you generally get passed at less than a walking pace. One mile an hour is a lot of a difference and... It doesn't look very dynamic on screen. It's a very slow pass, right? Mm, oh, so interesting. I think they have to they have to zhuzh it up a little. You know how that goes. Right. I mentioned before, it really does always rain at Le Mans for some reason. There was a lot of swerving and weaving there. And in general, that's going to get you a visit to the stewards. You're not supposed to drive like a madman from side to side. It causes other people problems and crashes. But it's, again, very, very exciting. You asked the question while we were watching, do brake rotors really grow, glow bright orange? And the answer is yes, they do. When they get super duper hot like that, they had the cool replaceable brake system on the Ford GT40, which is true. That was one thing they invented. And I think you would have to have asbestos gloves or something because they'd still be super hot, even if you pulled off the entire assembly. But that is true. And I will say, I... I don't know how powerful those cars were. They're obviously race cars, the best that Ford could do, but it does show it accelerating from 200 miles an hour to 220 pretty quickly. And generally when you're in your top gear near the top of your RPM, you don't have a lot of acceleration left. It's a little bit slower. But again, that I, I throw that out to trying to make it exciting for the viewer, right? They don't want to watch five seconds of somebody <laughs> accelerating. They, they want to see it in half a second. So I get that. So uh, like I tell people, th- for a Hollywood film, this is a documentary. It's pretty realistic. There are a couple things there where I think they, they fudged it a little to make it more exciting, but I think it did a really good job. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. The first time I watched it, it was because I wanted to. Right. I will also mention, if you did enjoy this film and you want to see a documentary about the same subject, it's called The 24-Hour War from Adam Carolla. It's I also it's quite also good. also on Netflix. Oh, very cool. It was for a while. So if- you can pop right on over and watch it. Yeah. For free. Shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. 
So just one little tidbit I'll leave before or before we do that is it was marketed as Ford v Ferrari in North America, but in most other countries around the world, it's titled Le Mans 66. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Let's see. It had a budget. I can't believe this is the budget. $97.6 million. That's less than I would have figured. Oh my gosh. This is an expensive film to make, I think. I mean, it's why not just make it $100 million? <laughs> like throw some part. I mean, <laughs> invite Bruckheimer. He'll blow 400000 yeah. giving you some storefront, you yeah. know. Right. Just on, on hookers alone. Oh, my gosh. $97 million. Okay. Now, I'm actually curious how much of that went into the car budget. Because, like, did they have to purchase there some of those GT40 five, replicas? Five different GT, I think yeah. I read. So you can get replicas of most classic cars. I don't know if you can get a like dimensionally accurate replica of a GT40, but you might be able to. I think one of the things, because I listened to the sound thing, I think they sent a crew to get the sound of the GT40. One guy had one. Maybe it wasn't that car, but there was one car in the film that they flew the sound crew to this guy so that they could record. I wouldn't be surprised. I thought it was GT40. I think it is. I thought Corolla had mentioned that there was somebody in the U.S., I want to say Colorado, that had one. Right. And he had visited and they fired it up. Yeah. Which would have been a, a ton of fun. Yeah. Has a 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. So we're right up there. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. The critics love this movie at 92% and audiences really love this movie at 98%. I'm surprised, but pleasantly surprised by that. I'm happy about that. Like I said, it's two hours and 32 minutes. It's rated PG-13. So really, this one could be a family favorite, I would say, of at least 10, 10 and up. Yeah, I don't There might think be there's... a couple swears, but uh, I don't, I don't probably not any. at PG-13, aren't yeah. they? Are they allowed one at PG-13? Yeah, you're allowed one, one. in a non-sexual context. One F word. but So it's action biography drama. We <laughs> did pause it once. I said to explain the noise level. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> Let's see. The budget. So they made their money, even at that oh, expensive. Yeah. Domestically, they made $117.6 million, And worldwide, they made $224.4 million. So that's a 2.3x budget from the budget. Okay. So I hope my friend Matt got a little back end on that. Got to dip his beak. Matty Damon. Yeah. I think he's doing okay. But Cute. I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to pay his mortgage this month. Yeah. I think he'll be able to put his kids in private school. If maybe. not, I'm putting together another picture <laughs> soon. So, Matt, have your people reach out. Okay. This is a 20th Century Fox and TSG Entertainment. And, like I mentioned, I teased earlier their awards. They won They won the Oscar for film editing and sound editing, which is no surprise after you see this movie. They won a BAFTA for editing and cinematography. They won a SAG Award for the stunt ensemble. The whole group of stunt people, which the list of names was vast. They all won a SAG Award. I wonder if they each individually get where they all have to show. I would hope they get their own. And they also won many, many sound and editing awards in smaller festivals that I didn't list. Yeah, yeah. So congrats to the team of Ford v. Ferrari. A huge success. An enjoyable movie. Please, if you enjoy, you know, history or racing or even just looking at Matt Damon. 
I think this yeah, and is who a, doesn't enjoy looking at Matt Damon? Right. So join us next week when we are finishing off the month of race films with a classic Talladega Nights. And you will hear us talk about it. And let's see. Never forget. Dodgers never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 